know, I've gone through the injury process enough times at this point and, and not really knowing what it was about and everything that going into this one, you know, I, I just, I, I tried to embrace it in a slightly different way. Normally, I always am kind of taking the, the, the idea, like I, I strongly believe that any injury or anything, any obstacle that you have to overcome is really just an opportunity to become better. And I still believe that fully through this injury and I'm really excited, but I just, with, with getting injured at my, the race that I love the most on the entire schedule at Alcatraz and having this pretty emotional build up to that, not knowing if my foot was gonna hold up and then breaking the foot and everything, I really needed to just take a week and and do some stuff like that. And you go, you know what? I can't go to the gym right now and fix anything about this. So might as well seize the moment, do some stuff that I've wanted to do and really just you know, immerse myself in that moment. And then when the time comes that I can actually do something about it, then take action. Otherwise, you know, just like sitting around and, and worrying and being upset about something, that doesn't accomplish anything, so. Welcome to the JD Podcast, previously known as the NOW Podcast, but the theme is the same, so we talk about sport, health, and mindset. So the new name, JD, is for my last name, Jolica Desroches. Uh, today I'm really excited to share my chat with Eric Lagerstrom, who's a pro triathlete. He's a super cool dude. He likes to share uh, videos about his, uh, his journey as a pro triathlete. And, uh, Most of the time he lives in his van, which is super cool too. And we talk about his uh, journey from ITU racing to 70.3 racing, how he deals with uh, an injury, and uh, how he discovered triathlon. So I hope you enjoy the chat. Uh, if you enjoy, please share on uh, social media and also subscribe on iTunes and uh, write a review that helps a lot. So without further ado, Here's my chat with Eric Largestrom. All good, all good. Yeah. So, how's it going? Where, where are you right now? Right now, I'm in Boulder, actually, which is, uh, I haven't been, I've never been here before, surprisingly, to train or anything, but um, my girlfriend Paula is here and it's, um, just getting ready for the next race. So it's your Pretty first time ever in Boulder? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been before just for for a brief period of time, but uh, this, I'll actually be here for like three weeks, so doing it for real. That's pretty cool. It's, it's a bit similar to, to where you live, right? Like in Portland, like lots of nice places to, to train, lots of trails, no? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say that, um, I live just outside of Portland, so where I live, I have the, the best roads I've ever ridden on in my life, uh, but not quite as many trail options, uh, but the pool's great, so I'd say I like the biking and where I'm from a little bit more, but the trail running isn't quite as easily accessible as it is here, so I don't know, it's a toss-up, nowhere is perfect, but they feel similar, With Oregon's a little greener, that's the one thing I'll say. And are you going to go back after that to, to Poway with the, the Triton squad with uh, Polo Sousa or? No, no, actually, we haven't been in Poway for a little while. We've been training out of Carlsbad for the last for the last winter. So um, he's kind of taken the squad more in a direction of international travel going along with the WTS circuit. Uh, the next time I think I'll be with the group might be, you know, September, October, uh, but definitely in the December, January period leading into next year. And that's mostly just because I've switched over to 70.3. I'm a little more US based rather than following the WTS circuit. Okay. Yeah. So like right now is with like uh, Matthew McEnroe in, in Europe, right? I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think they've just come back from, they were in St. Moritz for a while and then they did Hamburg and then they're coming back and they're going to do Edmonton. And then I think they go to Flagstaff for some altitude training, but okay, uh, cool. yeah. 
yeah, it's a it's a cool life. I've just I did I did it for six years straight. Yeah. And got a little weary of the Olympic process and the politics and everything. And I'm kind of enjoying being more in the United States and picking the races I go to with half Ironmans. Yeah, we'll go through like your progression to from ITU to seventy point three. I think that's really yeah. fascinating. But uh, I've seen recently that you're now uh, well, pretty much injury free, and then you're gonna race in like three weeks at seventy point three uh, still Ed, right? That's that's the plan. Yeah, I'm I'm f six weeks down the line from when I broke my foot at Alcatraz, so I'm doing some runs on the Alter G. I'm doing some. Uh, actually, just did my first real full on run yesterday. You know, whole ten minutes. It was so exciting. But I never really stopped the swim and the bike training, so that I don't have to worry about getting that back per se. Just getting used to the impact of running. And how did the injury happen with your foot? I think before that you had some of like a nerve issue with, with your feet. Is it the same issue that you figured out was a fracture or? Yeah, actually it's, it's all interrelated. So, um, I've been chasing around this nerve pain in the hip for a long time. And one of the things that I got done while I was in Portland was I got the MRI down on my foot and found the stress fracture obviously. But then I also got an MRI on the hip because the, uh, the sports doctor that I was seeing had this suspicion that I actually had a labral tear in there that could be causing kind of all of this, you know, uh, tightness around the hip joint that was really hard to pin down and figure out where it was coming from. So we got that done and I actually did end up having a labral tear in the left hip and it's probably been there since, um, the early 2016 when I got injured going into the Olympic games. So um basically knowing that has just kind of given us an ability to go all right well the, now the tightness in the hip that no amount of massage will take care of that makes some sense because the hip might not hurt but it's protecting itself from you know this this sensation that it has that something's not right so we're going in now and we can actually actively work on you know mitigating that strengthening some spots that have kind of atrophied from compensation patterns and everything and yeah i mean i'm stoked with moving forward on that i feel like finally it's like okay it's not just a nerve problem it's not just like my foot doesn't work right it's not you know we kind of have a root cause that we can work on it seems to be so far moving down the chain in a positive way so i haven't had nearly the amount of nerve in my left leg going numb that i used to have the foot's feeling a lot better a lot of stuff's going well just from being able to treat the hip and my general movement pattern when i run Yeah, because I think the worst worst thing about being injured is not doing what your injury is. Like, if you know you have like a broken arm, it's easy. You're like, well, I'm just gonna swim yeah. for a while and it's gonna fix. But like, if it's a problem like that, because I've had the same, like a similar hip injury, like all the summer, and like, it took me such a long time to find out what it was. And yeah, so that's why I was curious about. Uh, I think like your, I think it's a labral tear that you have, right? Yeah. Yep. I was curious to know like what you what you have and like maybe it's. It's a similar thing that I have. So when you know exactly what you have, at least you can find the, the specialist that can help you fix the problem and you can actually like do what you, you need to do to, to recover. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I actually went into this, the foot uh, break after Alcatraz with that mindset of, okay, I don't really care. And honestly, I, I would much rather my foot just be fully broken than go and get another MRI and have them come back with, oh, well, it's not broken. I guess it's some nerve pain or something. Let's, you know, it was, it was almost a relief having the broken foot yeah. and having a diagnosis and then getting the hip thing and going, okay, I'm not completely crazy. You know, just this weird feeling that I have down there, you know, is, isn't just, at least we, now we know we can work on it. We can fix it. We can make a plan instead of just throwing, throwing stuff at the wall and trying to figure out what sticks. Yeah. And I think one of the beauty of our sport is that at least like when you're injured with your, f your foot, you can still do, you can still swim. And then after a while you can at least bike a little bit. So it's not like when you're a runner and then you're like, you're completely screwed in a, in a way and yeah. you only have to do like some water running. And uh, mm -hmm. I've really enjoyed like your, did a short movie about like your recovery and like just in a way like embracing the moment, embracing the, the fact that you're injured and like, going camping, mm -hmm. finding nice places to, to camp and go on open water swimming instead of like being down on yourself and like going swimming like three times a day or two times a day, like just like hammering yourself and being like depressed almost. So like, I mm -hmm. think it's, it's refreshing to see this, this type of, of way to, to cope with uh, injuries and like 
in dark times in a way. Yeah, yeah, man. I, thanks, thanks for saying that because I, you know, I've gone through the injury process enough times at this point, and and not really knowing what it was about and everything that going into this one, you know, I, I just I, I try to embrace it in a slightly different way. Normally, I always am kind of taking the the, the idea like I. I strongly believe that any injury or anything, any obstacle that you have to overcome is really just an opportunity to become better. And I still believe that fully through this injury and I'm really excited, but I just, with, with getting injured at my, the race that I love the most on the entire schedule at Alcatraz and having this pretty emotional build up to that, not knowing if my foot was going to hold up and then breaking the foot and everything, I really needed to just take a week and and do some stuff like that and you go you know what i can't go to the gym right now and fix anything about this so might as well seize the moment do some stuff that i've wanted to do and really just you know immerse myself in that moment and then when the time comes that i can actually do something about it then take action otherwise you know just like sitting around and, and worrying and being upset about something that doesn't accomplish anything so Yeah, and I think it's great that you share your experience on like on video because in a way like in social media and like most pro athletes in either like any sport, it's like you always show the highlight reel and like everything that's like just uh, unicorn and, and rainbows and like everything is beautiful and like, mm -hmm. but most of the time you're like just sometimes you have a shitty day on your trainer, it's uh, the weather is bad and you just don't feel like training and or you're injured or you just don't feel like training or something like that so it's good to to share not just a good time but also like the difficult time and i think that's what people probably you probably got a lot more messages from people from this video than all your other videos no because they can relate to to that no 100 you're you're totally right and i had the same experience when i put out the video after immediately after missing the olympic team in 2016 i had the same thing like that's something that i think in 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 the climate of social media right now and, and professional athletes as a business that they're trying to grow and get a bigger following and everything, you tend to filter out anything that you think might not be popular, right? That people might not, you know, every time I put out a picture of me smiling and happy and crossing the finish line, holding a tape, you know, it gets a thousand likes. And if I post a picture of myself in a dark room looking upset, it gets 300 likes. Um, so you tend to like cut out all those real moments that are actually like a super important part of the process and you get this, you know, you get this unrealistic, this unrealistic look at what this is actually like. And, and that really, that, that bugs me because I think you're exactly right. Everybody in the, in the world really actually goes through all these hard times. And if we're constantly just pretending like they don't exist, every single person is looking around going like, well, why isn't my life? amazing at every single moment i think it is i guess i'll just post some fake picture of me being way happier than i am even though i'm injured and i can't do anything you know so by by telling this continuous story and everything and i think you you allow people to come along on that journey and when you do ultimately uh hit a big one and do really well like it means something it's not just oh well, eric did really well and you know three months ago and then we didn't hear from him and then he did really well again Weird. Yeah. I wonder why he did. I wonder where he was in between. Like Tim Don having his car crash and you know documenting the Halo thing and everything, and going through that whole process. Like I'm sure he probably wasn't super stoked to be sharing that at the moment because he was just kind of bummed. But by doing so, like it's this really powerful story of, of comeback and that a lot of people can identify with and you know take into their own life and be motivated. So I, I think that's that's a really cool thing. And talking about the Olympic Games, was like was it something like when you grew up, you you did a lot of swimming, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, I started in swimming. Did you grow up like thinking like you want to go to the Olympic as, as a swimmer, like watching like Michael Phelps and stuff like that? Was it like one of your goals or something? I mean, it was uh, it was definitely in in my mind of oh, it'd be awesome to be an Olympic swimmer. But honestly, I don't think I ever really felt you know had that moment where I thought oh, I could actually do it. You know, it was, it was this lofty thing out there that would be really great and stuff. But as I was a swimmer growing up, I mean, I went to five swim practices a week. I went to the weekdays, not the mornings, not the Saturdays, not the Sundays. I wasn't into it on, on the weekends. I was out, you know, skateboarding and snowboarding and, and doing other stuff and ultimately doing triathlon later in life. So I mean, my, my swim coaches always complained because I wasn't committed enough and everything. Um, 
but yeah, long story short, um, actually going to the Olympics didn't really seem like a real possibility until very deep into my triathlon career. So, and how did you discover the triathlon at first? Um, a local triathlon coach came to one of our swim practices or came to a few swim practices and with the idea of cross training saying, Oh, Hey, if you, if you do some biking and some running occasionally, it's just good for your aerobic capacity and it's fun. And you know, maybe you won't get burned out. I you know, I'm sure that was a motivation, but, um, and kind of at the end of this little cross training block that we did, he, you know, invited us to go do the local triathlon and kind of gave us the link to register for it. So I went out and did it and I didn't do well at all. I think I got second in my age group, you know, which is, saying a lot for a, a local triathlon and stuff and it was probably it was a sprint i think i my time was an hour and 31 minutes or something but the energy of everybody there just totally sucked me in with the positivity and that i was my first one and so many people were so positive and excited um it was like really uh intoxicating or you know addicting to me coming from a little bit of a contrast in the swimming world where there were parents yelling at their kids on deck because they didn't yeah. get a best time or something like that and so anyway i just i just kind of kept coming back for more and it really grew organically for me and were you, as a kid were you like someone who was talented or more someone who, who had to actually like work harder than everybody else to to get at the same place than the other competitors yeah um I, I think, you know, talent's like kind of a tricky word and everything. And I think a lot of people like to say that they weren't talented and they, they were, you know, a hard worker and stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I nothing ever came easy. Like I said, I'm, I'm not the guy who went to the first triathlon and won it. I was miles back. I think it was four years before I ever won a triathlon overall when I was 16 or 17. And then I went to my first eight, uh, whatever they call it, junior nationals. And I, oh, man, I got... 10th or 12th out of 16 kids at my first draft legal thing. And so I didn't do another one of those for several years. Um, I was never any good at running my 5k PR in high school was 17, 16. So I would in no way say that any of this kind of came quickly or easily, but I do think I might, if I had a talent, it would just be for the kind of the way that I approach a lot of things with applying myself a hundred percent. It's, like in, in almost a maniacal way and really it's, it, it borders on, it borders on obsessive for sure. Like when I'm really excited about something, I can just throw myself into it so hard. Like I can't think about anything else. And I think that's what's allowed me to excel in triathlon is kind of like that level of focus and intensity over time that, you know, maybe if I hadn't had to work so hard to have the same results, maybe I wouldn't have, you know, built that and would you see you're like a perfectionist in either like, no 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 it's no, mostly I'm like intense right intensity yeah i just i get it's it's that that feeling of of doing something new of learning something of, of going somewhere that you haven't gone before that's like addicting to me i i think i'm i'm more on the lines of like an adrenaline junkie you know with like like to go downhill fast and i and i like i i'm constantly chasing after that flow state that you get when you're when you realize you're doing something new and you realize that, it, you know, you're pushing yourself to a new place. It's not like, Oh, I have to like go do this bike workout. Otherwise like my training log isn't going to be perfect. Like when I'm doing well, it's like, I'm so stoked to go do that bike workout because of the possibility of where, you know, what I might get to, what, what I might find about myself or something. So, um, perfectionist, no, just, I get, I get intense about, about that forward progress. And it's the same way with your your video, right? Like your yeah. you get when you start editing your video, you just get right into it, and like you almost can't stop, right? Can't stop. Yeah, um, it's it's like it's a it's a gift and a curse or something like that. You know, if I you know quote Spider Man or something, great power comes great responsibility or something. But I suck at the responsibility side. I I really am not good at at pacing myself when I when I get into a new book or when I get into a new sport or a new hobby or something like it's really really hard for me to say okay just do two hours of it a day you know no it's just like I'll miss I'll forget to eat dinner I'll just be editing a video until 1 a.m without even realizing it and just I it, it's it's been really great you know the periods of time where I'm have to be at my parents house or when you know I'm with Paula and and this they can actually say hey you need to 
you need to chill. You need to stop for a second and snap me out of that zone. <laughs> you, need, you need to come back to life for a while. Yeah, yeah, because I just, you know, if, if I didn't have to actually go train every morning, I, I think I'd want to sleep three hours a day because there's just so many things that I want to do and so many things out there like in the, in the with the internet and everything that you can learn these days. And, um, yeah, you know, it, it's hard to, it's hard to say, okay, no, I got to take a break. And I go through these periods where I'm just so excited and so amped up and trying to learn something. And then I just fully crash yeah. two weeks and I just have to not do anything for a few days because I'll go crazy. Otherwise, I'm, yeah, I can definitely I like, feel the same way. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's when you're working on something that's going really well, it's really hard to say, okay, okay, that's good. But if I want it to be sustainable, I have to, no, you just want to do more now. Yeah, this is where like a lot of people talk about balance and I really mm -hmm. don't like the, the world balance. In a way, like if you want to achieve anything in life, you need to be in sort of a way like not in balance, not fully in balance, right? Because like if you're like mm -hmm. fully in balance between like work, study, family and sport, you're just, I feel in a way like you're going to be average in everything. Sometimes you're just going to go all in in something and have some, mm -hmm. like you can still do other stuff, but like if you want to like achieve something, you got to be like, any like super elite athletes, it's not, you see what they do like 24 hours per day and they're not completely balanced, right? No, no, not at all. You're 100% right. I feel exactly the same way. And and just as you were talking, even I, it occurred to me or me, the word balance, it doesn't sound like anything's, nothing's moving, yeah. right? Everything's kind of staying the same. It's like which, osmosis. Which is, like... Yeah, yeah, it, it you have to really upset balance to have movement like in any direction or another. And, you know, I, it's, I think it's, it's a word that gets thrown around. Right. And when you say, Oh, I needed to be, be a little bit more balanced and it's saying, well, my, I was, I was 99% over here and I had 1% of other things in my life and I got more balanced by bumping it to 80, 20 yeah. or something. You know, it's, we're not talking about, Oh, you just look like, When, when people look at an elite athlete or a triathlete or, you know, someone who's doing something great, it is not a life of balance. There's an extreme, there's an extremity in some places. And that's just, I think that's the nature of, of achieving at a really high level. And to come back at your, your journey, I think in 2012, you, you won the sprint national championship, right? Oh uh, yeah. I, yeah. Well, I, it's hard to keep track of, of of the what in the United States, we had a super sprint national championship. We had a sprint national championship oh, yeah. and, and it was kind of, but I, I've, I've won both of those. I, I, I just can't think of the years at this point in time. And the sprint, sprint was in uh, Las Vegas, right? Yeah. Okay. So that, that would have been, yeah, more around 2012. That was the first, I think significant result of any sort that I had. For and dollars. did you see right away that that was a type of racing that suits you as well? Because it's just, so fast like you need to be super good technical and fast with transition and stuff like that yeah yeah totally that kind of goes back to the adrenaline junkie um mindset for me there's so much happening you're so stimulated you have to be pretty much completely in flow to to win an environment like that you know if, if nothing is ever going to go exactly the way that you planned it because there's so many elements and everything so you just have to be able to adapt to whatever comes up and and i i Yeah, I love that fast pace, just react, you know, let your body and your, your, I don't know, your muscle memory, whatever. Take yeah, I think over. you need to be able to take some risk, like both like technically on the, on the bike, but also like physically, like, you know, like, you know, that physically you can't push that hard for the whole time, but you're still going to do it. And like, maybe you're going to blow out because it's mm -hmm. a lot easier to, to like control your pace when it's a long race, like a 70.3, but like on a super sprint, you're just like full out for like maybe 18 or 20 minutes, but it's like just your legs are burning. <laughs> you don't know if you can actually continue at yeah. that pace, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's, that's how I usually try to explain to people the difference between ITU or super sprint or anything and half Ironman or 70 or Ironman is that in one, you kind of can control the amount of effort that you put out. And then the other one, you just have to say, you know what? doesn't matter i have to go to 11 out of 10 until it until i don't need to anymore and just believe that the rest of the race is going to take care of itself yeah. somehow because if, if you don't it, it doesn't matter you're, you're dropped the game game over and the year after that i think you, you joined the uh, triathlon squad right with with paulo in 2013 i actually joined um 
so I think that would have been I would have been in like 20, 2013 because I, I joined the triathlon squad at the very end of 2012 uh, basically in December and then I want to say that 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 sprint title happened in in 2000 middle of 2013 or maybe 2014 I like I said I can't remember for sure because um, Paulo was actually there and I'd been co- he'd been coaching me for a little while at that point. And what was, what was your first uh, interaction with uh, Polo? Oh, my first interaction. I um, I emailed him because I had actually I had actually contacted Joel Filial to see if I could be on his team, and he had just recently totally bumped up the level of athlete that he was working with. To you know, I think he brought on just a bunch of Olympians basically, mm-hmm. and he kind of said, you know, I don't have any developmental positions, but you should talk to Paulo. He's he's a really great coach. We have similar philosophies. So I emailed Paulo. Um, kind of saying, Hey, I'm looking for a, a training group or something and, and, and blah, blah, blah. I'm not working with my old coach and I want to take things to the next level. And I got a back, a, like an automated response from him. It's like, I will be accepting applications for my triathlon squad in December, 2018, you know, as I have every year in the you know, blah, 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 Paulo. And I just, I was like, screw this guy. He can't even freaking send an actual response to my email, whatever. So that was the first interaction I had with him. <laughs> Rejection. Because I think it's quite selective. And like if he, he doesn't believe either you have the like maybe the talent or or maybe the the motivation or the drive to actually push and like go through the process and like fully believe in the process, it's not gonna take you. But like if you mm-hmm. s- see something in you, like you saw in you and maybe like Matt Matt McEnroy, who like at the mm-hmm. first he like he couldn't almost couldn't swim right and like but he knew that yeah. like he could go through the process and he had like his vision and i think it's yeah the biggest thing about working with the triathlon squad is is your attitude like nobody who's just super duper talented but is a complete jerk or it doesn't have some degree of you know humility isn't isn't going to isn't going to make it, isn't going to be accepted or whatever. Like the, the entire core principle of the group is that you just show up every single day and you work hard. And, and it's that simple. It's not, Oh, I don't need to work as hard because I'm better or this, or you just, you know, it's just like check your ego at the door. Just show up. Everybody's trying to get better than they currently are. And if you're fully bought into that, you know, it, it, the results, prior results are kind of secondary. And it's basically like a training camp, uh, environment right it's like you're fully yeah. in the moment and like he's going to tell you what to do and yeah it's not like you're mm-hmm. like i feel like it's completely different to me maybe someone is training for a standing point two and our man who's mostly maybe uh, at home he does his own stuff maybe he has lots more flexibility yep. with with like the maybe the length of the the ride or the pace or with who he's going to mm-hmm. ride but like with that is like <clears throat> you need to go there and like specific time and do do the work mm-hmm. right yeah, yeah, exactly. It is a training camp environment, 365 days a year. So that you get the training schedule for the for Wednesday on Tuesday night. So you know, here's when you have to show up to the pool. Here's when you show up to the run, and then you might have a bike ride that you do on your own in the afternoon. When you show up to the swim, you get the swim workout. When you show up to the run, you get the run workout. Paulo's there at two sessions a day, minimum. Typically, he's at four or five sessions a day because he's working with different athletes on specific things that they need to work on. But um, yeah, you have to completely give yourself over to that. There's no time. I, I haven't gotten when I was there. I didn't get a haircut for three or four months because I just I didn't have time to to go to go get a haircut because I needed to be at sessions and everything. And you get you get so much out of it in a really in in, in a short period of time if you go to a camp. But this is just year round yeah i'm i'm slowly moving away from that a little bit as i'm transferring and starting to race 70.3 um but i don't ever want to be you know too far away from it because just that's when i've made these huge jumps in performance and yeah wouldn't be where i am without it so yeah because i feel you can get stuck in your routine and you feel like you're training super hard and everything but like when you get too comfortable at, at home and doing just like okay i'm gonna train uh, one hour later because it's not uh, super sunny or super warm mm-hmm. then when it's it's race day and like it's shitty weather and like everything is going bad well maybe you're not so used to that so i feel like when you you get 
you get used to dealing with everything. I think it's something that's quite uh, useful. And that's why I think so many squads are like that. Like you said, uh, the Joe Fingal squad also, it's like mm -hmm. they move so much uh, all around the, the world and like they get, you need to get used to different type of pools, different type of environment, uh, altitude also and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, it's, it's, it's just different. Um, I think it, it teaches you a lot of things and, and kind of back to your original point of, of thinking that you're training really hard, right? It's really easy to be like, well, you know, this is my times that I've been doing lately and I'm pretty close to that or whatever it is. You know, I think I'm working really hard, but you know, I, I go, I go to San Diego And I think that, I, you know, I've been swimming 107s for 100 short, 400 long course meters thinking that I'm doing pretty well. And there's two guys in the pool who are swimming 102s. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you just like completely rearrange what you think is good and you and you readjust. And like, okay, well, now I guess I got to figure out how to do that because I look, I look like just some joker, you know, flapping up and down the pool here. And that that's you know it's it it pushes you and 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 in like in a really good way because it's it's you spend all of your energy elevating in the workouts instead of okay i gotta go to the pool no one's expecting me there i don't really have a time but like i gotta go okay i gotta go i gotta go that that don't have to worry about that it's always at this time there's always gonna be 10 other people there you just have to worry about being there and then doing the work when you're there and who was your biggest mentor like while you were training in uh, over there like Like other athletes were training uh, with, like maybe like Joe Malloy or uh, mm. or someone else. Yeah, um, I mean, I I wouldn't. I guess if if I had somebody who I always looked up to a lot and, and sought for advice and just like looked to for general attitude and and, and stuff, it would have been Trevor Wertel. Mm. Um, I've always just really admired his kind of stoicism and his ability to um, whether or not he's tired, whether or not he's you know any sort of emotion. He just kind of shows up. He does the work and, you know, he, he, he got it done. Uh, he's not currently with Paulo at, uh, anymore, but I've just always, I've always had a lot of respect for him. I, 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 I think a huge part of the team was that, that people have respect for each other. And as soon as that is not, doesn't, isn't there anymore, then you kind of have a, a failing system. And so I, I had a ton of respect for Joe Malloy. He was a big reason that I came in the first place. I looked at the times that he'd had in his 10 Ks and races and thought, Oh, I need that. I need to go from running 34 minutes to running 32 flat, you know? So I want to go train with that guy, do exactly what he's doing. And same thing with, with Jason Peterson who joined at the same time and that kind of a, original group that moved to Poway and, and did it full time all year round. Like we all had a, a very high level of respect for each other and learned from each other in our respective, you know, strengths. So, And to go back to your journey, uh, journey, uh, you won the uh, escape from Alcatraz, and that was like one of your big, big win. And like, especially mm -hmm. like in USA, like this is such an like iconic race, and a lot of people like uh, learn to to know about you. And like, I think Red Bull uh, knew about you because of that was one of the big reasons that Red Bull like uh, talked to you about uh, sponsorship and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. is this one of your like? You'll see like one in your defining uh, moment of your like career until until now maybe or yeah for sure um i'd say it's one of them uh it's it, it was it just can't it the stars kind of aligned on that one i was i was incredibly fit i'd had an awesome season you know off season early season of training um things lined up just right where i was able to get into the race um It kind of came down to this epic moment between Andy Potts and myself. Mm -hmm. It was also what it, what it was at the 40th anniversary of the race. So it had a little bit higher level of coverage. All these things kind of aligned along with some video stories that I'd been telling leading into it to where there was just kind of this perfect moment of, you know, opportunity seized. And I was ready to take, you know, to, to capitalize on that with, with the fitness that I had. So it completely for sure kind of put me into consciousness with a higher percentage of the American public. I wouldn't say it's as much as if you were to, you know, win North American championships in a 70.3 or win Oceanside, but it yeah. was, it was, it was as good as you could possibly get with Olympic distance non-draft racing. So, 
And it, it, at the time you were mixing some I2 racing with some uh, non-draft, uh, mostly Olympic distance races, right? Mm -hmm. And did you find like, because of that, did you realize that maybe the non-draft was better suited for you or you still felt like both were as, as well suited for you? I've always felt like non-draft was more suited for me. Um, I, I, that's how I, I grew up doing it since I was 12. Uh, I only got into ITU a little later. Uh, as as kind of a pursuit of the Olympic thing, um, and it, I've always felt like I loved ITU because it was the ultimate proving ground for showing that I'd learned, you know, that I'd become a runner. Yeah. Because I, I grew up not at all a runner, and that was always the biggest thing that people would say, like, oh, oh you know, he might be good, but his his five k time, oh, his ten k, whatever. And that was just if you're going to go show that you can run fast, that's the place to do it. And so that was like the most exciting place for me to go and try to overcome, you know, the biggest challenge. And, and that's, you know, the most motivating thing, like I said, going out there and trying to do something that maybe not isn't possible, but, but I, yeah, if, if, if non-draft was an actual thing that you could do more, you know, if the lifetime series still existed, yeah. I think that's 100% more suited to the type of athlete I am, the strengths that I have, so. Yeah, I definitely think that would be badass to uh, still have like a lifetime or a 5150, like bigger, like races like yeah. every two weeks or something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I wish. Well, hope, hopefully the Escape series will, you know, kind of continue to build some momentum and we'll get that back because I think it's, it's a beautiful distance. It's a lot more approachable for people instead of having to, you know, like just throw away or give up a whole year of their life to train for a half Ironman or a 70 point or, a, you know, an Ironman, you can, you can go train a decent number of hours a week, still have a, a life with your family and, and do an Olympic distance and have a great time. So. And can you go through like the Olympic qualification process? Like at first, like when you started triathlon, you never thought that like probably you, you will going to be like, have a chance to be going to Olympics. And then gradually you became better. You won some big races. You did, uh, finished third at the World Cup in Montreal and then like you started to realize that you could actually be one of the best in the USA right so I was like your progression like feeling like maybe that you actually could have a chance of of getting getting there yeah it was um at the end of 2014 I was completely fed up with ITU and fully just said you know what I quit I'm over it I don't want to go to China anymore I just want to do the non-draft I want to do lifetime series and win that And I trained really, really well all winter under that mindset of I'm doing it for myself. I'm going to do the races I want to do and no politics involved. And then in February or whatever it was, they canceled that series. Um, but I still had all this. I had just built up this great fitness from training kind of, I, I mean, you could use the word happy, but I, I just felt like I was on the right path mm. for me and doing and, you know, kind of fulfilled and had some direction. Um, so I just ended up doing sarasota and claremont continental cups to to do something because i'm a professional triathlete so i got to race something yeah. so i went and did those and i got second at one and then i won the other won the second one that i did and then i just kind of kept going down that pathway of like all right well i'll do one more just you know if it keeps going well i'll do another one and i went and i won the barbados continental cup and i was winning these on the run i was having these just phenomenal runs and Then I got an opportunity to go race in China at a World Cup level, one one step up, and I got what did I get there, 11th or something there, which was just far and away just the best IT result I'd ever had, and that got me the opportunity to go race at I can't remember exactly what which race it was, but I ended up doing Hamburg, Stockholm, Edmonton, and in all three of those I got top 20s, and that just instantly took me from 200th in the world to. 60th in the world mm. and all of a sudden in the conversation to be on the olympic team i was you know the second or third ranked guy which is so it was <laughs> like i said that entirely just happened from well i'll go do that because it sounds cool and um the life the drafting series isn't the non-draft series doesn't exist so i'll just i'll just keep i'll just go do another one because i got to do triathlon and i love it and you Did you do the the Rio race like uh, the year previously to the Olympic Games? No, no, I was not ranked well enough when they had the. I, I was still ranked 150th when they had the the Rio test event, so I didn't get to go. I didn't get to go to that. 
And what was like the when you learned that you couldn't go to the, the Olympic Games? Was it in a way like you knew that you maybe prefer in a way and you were better suited for the non-draft racing? So did that make the the decision like easier for you? And then you could have like another goal that you could actually start right away training for it and getting ready for for this race and getting ready to to win those those races or was it still a hard time for you to to deal with that no it was, it was a really hard time because i had kind of mentally shifted gears back into okay i'm gonna have to do some itu racing i'm gonna go for the olympics i realized that i have a chance now and i'd gotten you know mentally emotionally attached to that so when it didn't end up happening i I definitely took a big chunk of time where I just kind of sorted through feelings, tried to decide what I wanted to do. And I ultimately didn't end up making this move to 70.3 for another two years. I kind of kept doing ITU because I had this sense of unfinished business, you know, and it just, it's hard to let go of. It's a really, it's a really addicting style of racing and, and the culture around it. When you're at a WTS race, it's just, it's the show. Mm -hmm. It is a big freaking deal. Like the entire, these big cities shut down so that you can race. There's TV cameras everywhere. It's, you know, it, it feels as professional as our sport feels. And, you know, and the things that I've seen, I haven't been to 70.3 worlds. I haven't been to Kona, but of the things I've seen, it's just on another level of intensity and excitement. And is uh, WTS Emberg like the, the best one out there? Yeah, in terms of in terms of the energy around it and everything, and just you can't hear yourself think. There's so many people screaming on the sidelines the entire entire race. I think um, Stockholm was probably my favorite course, the way it was laid out in 2015. With a transition some, in the hill. Yeah, transition on the hill, the cobble sections that just had just the right number of turns and what, not even 180s. I think it. I think it might have had one 180. I don't think 180s count as turns. I think they're just crap. Uh, but it had a whole bunch of 90-degree turns, and, and you had to be you know, technically proficient on your bike, and I just, I, I think that's valuable and cool. And do you feel like uh, WTS should have more like really different races, like maybe like races with cobblestone, or like when they did the one in Kitzbühel with the like 10K hill that finished on top of the hill and the run, that was pretty crazy too. Do you feel like they should try to change change it up, or do you feel like it's okay like it is right now? I, I think they're already doing a good job. Um, ever since Chris Gemmel sort of took over as whatever he is, head of course design and and stuff, he's really done a good job of making the courses more interesting. You know, Hamburg has always been there, but I think the Stockholm designed course was kind of something that he came up with. I know that uh, back when they had the one in New Zealand, uh, Auckland. That was some, that was a course that he, he designed, I think, with Bevan Doherty. So I think his influence has really made it so that the courses are a lot more interesting and stuff. Um, but I, I still do think there is room for improvement because it, I don't know if it's in I don't know if it's in course design or if it's in putting preems back in, or you know, kind of getting creative with some little things like that that spice up the storyline for television because. Ultimately, that's, to, in my opinion, what the way the triathlon is either going to make it or not make it is how successful is it for television. And that's why they've gone to doing so many sprint races and getting it down to an hour. Um, but, you know, people watch people watch the Tour de France, and that's like five yeah. hours long. So I think – but there's always something happening. There's these little sprint points. There's King of the Mountains. There's this drama going on. And I think if they could, if they could you know, bring in some elements of that, even if it's just showing – a little bit better the dynamic that's going on in the chase pack versus the lead pack you know you, you just you get that 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 storyline and the drama you know is is played out a lot better so so yeah i, I hope they continue to try new things and innovate and you know yeah and i think they give prims, more points for talking like the the price money for like maybe fastest uh, swimmer or the fastest for the first like 40 like in, also in 70.3 in ironman i think that would be like super great idea and like It would make the races a lot more exciting because like sometimes just people are just happy to hang on the feet of someone in the swim. But like if there's actually maybe mm -hmm. $100 or $200, that's not that much for, for Ironman. But like that makes it a bit more exciting because people like are still going to want to sprint a little bit and to see if they mm -hmm. can get some extra cash. And also on the bike, that will make things a lot more, more fun, I, f 
too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And, and, you know, to your point with Iron Man, um, the only issue there is that are they actually going to tell anybody that it happened? You know, most of the Iron Man broadcasts that I've watched with the exception of, you know, two, maybe, you know, 70 point, the worlds or something, it's really hard to even, if they have a broadcast, it's really hard to even tell what's going on. If the timing's yeah. working, if, you know, so if you have, if you have a preem, you have to have a camera yeah, at yeah. the preem or you have to have a camera on somebody you know, so that you can see that actually happen. Otherwise it's just, Oh, Hey, guess what? They had a preem. Guess who got it? Oh, cool. You know, was that worth a thousand dollars to Iron Man? Yeah. You know, maybe not. It's just as valuable to have age groupers on, on forums, just talking about overall splits. So uh, until you can like really effectively yeah. have a multimedia package on how to, to tell the story of what happened, then all that kind of stuff, you know, uh, if a tree falls in the forest, you know, to, to, that whole metaphor. Yeah, they did a pretty good coverage of Ironman Lag Placid last weekend. I don't know if they're gonna on Facebook Live, so I don't know if they're gonna do that for every race or maybe mm -hmm. some of the biggest race. I think at least they're they're doing something to try to improve the the sport. It's not as good as mm -hmm. definitely like uh, WTS. The coverage is like super awesome, but like they, they can be really improved. But at least they're trying to do something, which is at least better mm -hmm. than just having some like coverage on Twitter and like trying to follow on yeah. their athlete tracker. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that, that's cool. It was the, uh, was the Lake Placid coverage. Do you think it was really good because it was a women's only and they could give more attention to the athletes that were racing? Cause that's something that I, that I wonder sometimes is if they have the men's and the women's field and there's 30 athletes in each thing, they can't really effectively, you know, cover each athlete and, and the drama that might be unfolding between even just two athletes, you know, let alone 10. Yeah, actually, I only saw the part of the run, and it was mostly they mostly just showed the uh, Edo Jackson and John Annette was in second. So there wasn't mm -hmm. that much coverage, but at least like the the comments were pretty interesting, and like it wasn't like yeah. filmed with a a cell phone on periscope or something like that. So but. yeah, okay, cool. Well, I mean that that's a good thing. Like the, the bar is set very low right now. Yeah, so, every, so anything every... we're super happy with because <laughs> it was so shitty yeah. before. Yeah, like we, oh, we can see them. Yeah. This, this is great. <laughs> And talking about our uh, 70.3, you had a super great race finishing fourth behind uh, Frodeno, Sanders, and Tim Reed. Uh, mm -hmm. Were you surprised of the of the result of the race went, or what was your like your feedback after the race? Um, I, gu I guess I I've always felt like I should be good at 70.3. I don't how to say that just prop just right but i've always felt like it, it was something that fit into my wheelhouse into my strengths and that it should go well and uh all i wanted all i was thinking about going into that race is to not not to mess anything up like have my nutrition dialed be a little conservative on the pacing and um you know just just not be one of the, one of the people who you know you just see a dime a dozen like oh it was my first race so i'm just you know i messed it up i didn't want that to happen so i th i think i got got the result that I felt like I feel like I executed well on the training that I did. You know, I, I didn't come fall short of anything for some reason and to come out of it in, in fourth place behind those guys was, was really exciting for sure. Um, I, I didn't, yeah, I, I honestly didn't, I had no idea what to expect. So it's kind of yeah. hard to say, Oh yeah, I, I thought I'd be within three minutes of, of Frodeno, but I was five minutes back. So oh, I'm bombed. You know, it was just, I just went in like, I'm going to go see what this is about. Have no idea. And just, it was really cool to be around those three guys during the race for sure. And someone asked on Instagram whether, well, it's two questions at the same, at the same time, but, uh, are you, do you have any plan of like going to Ironman racing in a few years? And at the same, same time, do you have any plan of going back to WTS and maybe trying to go for the Olympic Games, especially since now there's the, the relay, which I feel like would suit you really well? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I don't have any plan to go to Ironman. I think it's probably inevitable, but I'm going to put it off as long as I can. <laughs> I, I, I'm just getting my feet wet with 70.3. I, I think it's a really cool distance and... Um, I gotta be honest, every time I watch Kona on TV, I just think, oh, I don't, I do not want to do that. It's just, it looks like a really boring course and it's just all about you versus the heat. Um, but I could get super, I, I, I've started to 
think a little bit that I could get into a race like Roth or, you know, something in Switzerland or whatever. If it's a really cool location and, you know, the energy there with the the fans or whatever, the spectators, then I, you know, I could, I could get into, I could get into that. So with ITU, I I don't know. Um, I, I kind of, I told USA triathlon not to count on me for for any you know showing up to any races or anything but you know if, if we come around to next year and all the work that i've done with my hip and everything is going super well and i'm running like i was in 2015 and for some reason the american men aren't just crushing it uh then maybe i'll do the same thing that i did in 2015 and like i'll go to a couple continental cups and and see what happens you know and, and let it let it build from there but um I don't know. I love doing triathlon. I love all all the different formats and everything. So I, I have a hard time thinking that I'll never ever do another ITU race because yeah. I, I love it so much. Because it's not like you can't just go back directly to WTS. You need to like get back your points doing like Pan mm-hmm. Ams, Cotton Cups, then World Cups and WTS. So it's a long process. If you like, it's not like you can just okay try one WTS right away. Like, could you if like uh, USCT would like pull some string or something like that? Like or um, yeah, they, they do occasionally, but you have to have some sort of indication. They're not, I can't just be like, Hey, I've raced 70.3 for a year and now I just want to do Hamburg. Yeah. You know, if, if I went to, if I went to Claremont and raced against a couple other guys who are some of our top guys and I beat them and I ran 1440 or something, then that's the kind of the situation where they'd say, all right, we're going to take a gamble. We're going to put you in this race that would normally you wouldn't be able to get into. And if, and then if I go there, I do really well when I'm given that opportunity, then you get the next opportunity. And that's kind of like this breadcrumb trail that you play along for a little while until you have enough points that you can just say, I want to be do this race. Yeah. I guess there was lots of politics involved with all this qualification process, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's just, it's like, it's a necessary thing, you know, a necessary evil, however you want to word it. Um, but they have, they're in the business of putting together the best possible team, not the most deserving team, not the team that everybody likes the most. So, you know, you could do a whole bunch of work for three years and be really freaking good. And then some phenomenal person just shows up out of nowhere and has a really good chance of winning the gold medal. That guy should go yeah, because yeah. we're trying to get gold medals. We're not trying to make everybody feel good. And as soon as you realize that and just go, all right, I just got to be the best. I can't get into this by, by being the nicest, you know, then it, it simplifies things yeah. for me anyway. That's how I had to look at it. Yeah. And in the real USC has like some pretty good chance of a uh, medal and actually going for, for gold, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I would absolutely love to be a part of that, but examining the whole thing, you have to qualify to go to the Olympics as an individual person, yeah. you know, as an individual athlete, you can't go just as a relay athlete. So that would require me saying I'm going to put off 70.3 for another two years and take an entire gamble on ITU with the idea that I would get selected to be on this relay team. And, um, you just, that's just not a guarantee. You know, I could be, I could be put my life entirely into that with the idea of being on the relay team and then not get selected, you know, at the last minute. And sponsorship wise, like, or just financially, what do you think is more like, uh, what do you think it's well not easier but like more viable with sponsors and everything like going from ITU to 7.3 what it's do you feel like you've got more attention doing longer stuff now than before or yeah yeah for sure in the United States it's completely slanted towards 70.3 um, unless you are getting you know winning WTS's frequently you're much better off to be going and getting up podiums at 70.3 the sponsors care about it they're trying to sell triathlon bikes not road bikes Hmm. this is where all the general public uh, you know the the typical triathlete in the united states doesn't know that itu exists they're just looking at stuff from 70.3 whatever so it is what it is yeah yeah. and another question it's from uh, rudy von berg on instagram and asked like (laughs) whether you have the same race weight throughout the year or you try to to peak from different races or do you stay pretty constant or I stay pretty constant just because we have to be ready to race at any, at least in ITU, I got into the habit of you have to be ready to race at any point in time. So um, just like fitness or whatever, I'm at probably 98% fitness 
the entire year. I'm probably at 98% of optimal race weight throughout the year, but I don't, I don't think about it a ton, to be honest. I I've, I've struggled with, with the weight thing, you know, in, in my past and stuff. And it's something that from, from now on, from, you know, a couple of years back moving forward, I said, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to freak out over that. I'm just going to try to get the fuel that I need to perform and my body's going to be what it's going to be. It'll, it'll figure out the right spot to race fast. And do you feel like doing long, longer, longer races right now, you don't have to worry as much as before, like doing ITU stuff or is the same, pretty much yeah. the same? Yeah, I, I'd say, I'd say the stress is less, like it's less top of mind. Like, oh, I got to be super light yeah. so that I can go run 15 or 14 or whatever it is. Like it's, I think it's in ITU, it's just so built into the culture, so pervasive, just like running to where you don't even realize it, but everybody's super focused on it, you know? which is a bummer, but, um, that is a nice thing about half Ironman. It feels more like, can you be the strongest than yeah. the light than the lightest? And, uh, finally, there's another comment. It's from uh, Morgan person. He says like, it's not a question. He just says like, you're one of the coolest guy in the, in the sport, which I think <laughs> it's pretty cool. because actually like you're just your social media, your Instagram, your videos. And like we met in, uh, in Tremblant and I felt like you're a super cool uh, dude and i everybody who i've talked to say the same thing about you so just awesome. want to say like well, continue what you do it's pretty cool <laughs> thanks man thanks i i i have like i don't think i've actually met morgan we've just kind of talked back and forth briefly on instagram and stuff so i hope he's uh hope he's being serious and he's not like making a joke out of me or something <laughs> but uh i i think he's i think you know to, to respond to him just assuming it's it's uh you know all good is that I, I think he's to me he's on the same page like he kind of I think he's interesting he's got a personality he's not trying to just be the same as everybody else and you know have that Instagram account that's just like perfectly manicured yeah. so I, I think um, that that's how I try to be and that's like I have a lot of respect for anybody who's like that who just lets themselves be themselves and um, you know let let that personality come out don't just try to be what you think everybody else should be so no i i, I appreciate that man thanks <laughs> and uh to finish then your first next race is uh still ed do you have any plans for the rest of the season or are you just, you're just gonna see uh, how it goes oh yeah i'm just gonna go win every single race i do from now on <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's good uh, <laughs> um yeah i'm gonna do beijing international like i always do gonna do steelhead and then i'll probably try to just do a few more 70.3s maybe even all the way up till like beginning of december just race as much as i can with the second half of the season and uh just you know try to stay on as many podiums as possible and for people to follow you your uh, eric lagerstrom on uh Instagram and pretty much everything, right? And uh, also Transition4 mm -hmm. on uh, Instagram. And is the website transition4.com yeah. or? Yeah, we actually, we have two kind of separate websites for Transition4, which is, you know, the, the kind of the media project that I've been working on that, that sends that message of like triathlon can be fun. It can be, you know, it's, don't have to stress about stuff. Just be yourself and enjoy swimming, biking, and running. We have two different sites. There's a transition dash four dot com that kind of has text articles and videos posted and stuff and then there's also transition for dot tv which is built purely for if you just want to sit on the trainer if you just want to kick back and just watch videos that's that's the place to go so, so it's sort of like a red bull tv like just like exactly nice it's modeled it's modeled after that so you don't have to worry about clicking from one thing to another you're not going to get a cat video pop up if you just want to go watch triathlon stuff you'll be right at home So to make triathlon great again, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. I think the I, I think make triathlon awesome. Like it started out with some pretty cool characters that just did fun, awesome stuff. You know, with back in the day, or just riding from San Diego to LA and whatever, just for the heck of it. And and I like that kind of cowboy attitude of just hey, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be sanctioned. Just go, just go do it. Just have just have a blast. So. Yeah, that's a great way to, to end, yeah. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah. That was uh, awesome. Dude, my pleasure, man. Always good to chat. Take yeah. it easy.